Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you just for uh, this word, and we thank you for the season that we're going through, um, not just as a church, but also this uh, season of Lent where we can um, really uh, seek to focus on you and uh, uh, we ask that you would continually store our affections for you, that we would grow in our love for, for Jesus. And as we hear your word today, that uh, it would be a word that, um, you know, uh, penetrates the deepest parts of our hearts and would, uh, by the power of the Spirit, have uh, some way of, of shaping us and shaping our desires and our perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I said, we are in a season of Lent. And what um, I guess what I've decided to do for just a couple weeks is depart from our series in Acts, and I just wanted to focus on some simple practices uh, that, ha- you know, Christians and believers have been doing for uh, many, many centuries that help to build our affections for Jesus and related to our sense of mission and trying to um, pray through our mission as a church. Uh, it's important that we actually have an <laughs> affections for Jesus. So we talked about fasting, and last week we talked about repentance because these are practices that help us, that help our affections for Jesus. And I thought today, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about prayer, but I didn't want to talk about prayer directly. So I don't want to talk about prayer as like the goal of what we ought to do, but uh, I want to emphasize um, maybe prayer as a means to an end. And therefore, the goal is not prayer, but the goal is to be with Jesus, to be in his presence, to fellowship with him. And prayer is simply a means to do that. So I'm not going to say too much about prayer directly, but uh, in the back of my mind, that's, that's what I'm thinking about, prayer as a means to be in uh, the presence of Jesus. Now, today we're going to look at this meal involving two sisters, Mary and Martha. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually eats with a lot of people. So there's a lot of meals that take place, especially in the Gospel of Luke. And the funny thing about all of these meals is that there's usually something that's kind of unexpected about them. So, for example, you know, Jesus ate with a a lot of people that you wouldn't expect Jesus to eat with. He ate with a tax collector, and that surprised a lot of people because tax collectors were some of the most despised people at that time. And in this meal, there's something surprising too, but uh, while Mary and Martha, they weren't despised, there's something unexpected about what Jesus says here. This meal, it's like a pretty simple, ordinary meal. Martha welcomes Jesus into uh, their home, and Mary, her sister, is there too. And so what Martha's doing is, I think, what you would expect a good host to do. Martha's hard at work, and she's doing a lot of serving. And Mary, on the other hand, she's just kind of like sitting there with Jesus. She's sitting at Jesus' feet and kind of hearing his teachings. And the unexpected thing about this story is you wouldn't expect Jesus to correct Martha, uh, but you would expect her to correct Mary. But the opposite happens. Jesus actually commends Mary and says, look at Mary. Mary is the example here. Martha, uh, you are the one that needs correction. And, 
you know, I think a lot of us can probably relate to somebody like Martha because um, I think we tend to judge people like Mary. Martha is being very productive. Martha is doing a lot. Martha is serving Jesus. She's being useful, and she's actually doing something with her life. She's doing something with her time. And yet, what is Mary doing? Mary, all she is doing is she is sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving his teaching. And you would think, like, Mary, she's the, she's the lazy one, right? Uh, but the surprising thing is Jesus doesn't say to Martha, Martha, you're such a good servant. I'm so thankful for everything that you've done. Thank you for this meal. But rather what Jesus does is gives Martha this very gentle rebuke. Why? The passage tells us two reasons. The first reason why is Martha was distracted with much serving. And two, Martha was anxious and troubled about many things. I think it's interesting that Martha is described as distracted with much serving. Distraction. Distraction is probably one of the things that probably hinder our, uh, the vitality of our relationship with Jesus the most. And I think New York in particular tends to attract a lot of ambitious people. And of course, there is a place for ambition in life, but there's two sides to ambition. Ambition can be good in that it leads to greater productivity and it leads to greater achievement. A lot of innovations in this life, in this world, were probably due to very ambitious people. If you yourself have experienced a great degree of success, whether, I don't know, it's in school or whether it's in your careers or whether it's in how you raise your families, it's probably due to ambition. But you see, if you have too much ambition, it does come at a price. And you can focus too much on productivity. You can focus too much on achievement. You can work too much. You can study too much. But how do you know when it's too much? And one indicator that we see here is if it distracts you from more important things, from ultimate things. So Martha's serving was not good because it was a distraction. And what happens when people are distracted? Uh, it usually means you're not paying attention to the very thing that you ought to be paying attention to. You see this a lot in New York with people walking or uh, you know, actually driving. Many of you drive. This drives me crazy about driving like you're at a red light and the car doesn't go. And why doesn't the car in front of you go? It's because they're looking at their phone. They're distracted with their phone when they should be looking at the road. Distractions assume that we're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. And Martha, again, is being described as distracted. But distracted by what? Distracted with much serving. Her serving actually took her focus of, away from where it should have been. Uh, the second thing that's pointed out here is Martha was anxious and troubled about many things. And what is she anxious and troubled about? Well, verse 4 says, uh, she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Uh, she seems a little bit bitter about the fact that Mary has left her and that she is serving alone. Uh, for some of the, you students, your older siblings, uh, have you ever been in a situation where like, you're doing all the work and you got, you're cleaning up and your younger sibling is not doing anything, right? You're, Come on, mom, dad, what the heck? Why am I doing all the work? Miles, I don't see you nodding, so maybe that doesn't happen. <laughs> Just kidding, uh, right? You, you can kind of put yourself in that position where like you're the older sibling, uh, you're hard at work, you're cooking, and then you're serving your guests, and the younger sibling is just kind of sitting there, just chilling, and it's like, what the heck is going on? And uh, the fact that Martha is so consumed with that one point tells us that, you know, Martha's consumed with the wrong, her, her attention is on the wrong thing. You can understand that frustration and uh, 
for you older siblings, you can understand that frustration. I'm the younger sibling, so I was probably on the opposite end of that. Uh, when I was younger, my sister and I would have to like rake leaves, and I just have this memory like she would do all the raking of leaves, and then after she like raked the pile, I would like jump, yeah, <laughs> I would mess up all the work. That's a younger sibling mentality. Uh, she would understandably get very annoyed. It's not fair that she did all the work while I get to just kind of enjoy and play. That's what Martha is saying here, is, is saying here, right? She's like, hey, this is not fair. Mary should be with me. Mary should be in the kitchen with me. Mary should be serving. Why does she get to get out of doing this work and sit with Jesus? And so, again, you would expect Jesus to be like, Mary, come on, help Martha. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, Martha, you're not, you're not focused on the right thing. You're focused on the doing, but you should be focused on the being. You're choosing to do something for me, but Mary is choosing to be with me and sit under my teaching. You know, many years ago, um, I read this like secular leadership book called Good to Great. Uh, it's not exactly like a, a Christian book, but it had a lot of pieces of wisdom. And the title of the first chapter was Good is the Enemy of Great. And when I read that title, uh, I automatically thought that's a great way to describe maybe a lot of our struggles with our faith is that we oftentimes settle for good things. We settle for uh, a good career, good family, sleep, travel, Right, whatever it is, we settle for good things in life, and oftentimes it's the good things in life that come at the expense of the ultimate thing, which is Jesus himself. And Martha is doing a good thing. Right? She's not sinning. She's not doing something evil. She is serving, but it's in that serving that she is distracted and not focused on actually being with Jesus. Mary had her priorities right. She knew that she... Like she probably should have been serving all along with Martha, but she also knew yeah, it's, so, it's so much more important to be sitting under Jesus' teaching. Uh, and you should also know that what Mary is doing here is not something that would have been like culturally appropriate in that time. Uh, it's not something that women would have normally done in that time, which is part of the reason why I think Luke includes it in the story. Luke has a, a lot of focus on women in, the gospel, in this gospel. But in Jesus' day, women would oftentimes be expected to remain in the kitchen or to remain in other rooms unseen by outsiders. And the main public room was ultimately reserved for men. And women were not supposed to teach under the sitting, uh, the, sit under the teaching of a rabbi. And of course, you know, a lot of us probably take offense to that uh, in the modern times. But there are, there are still cultures out there that, that still practice a form of this. Um, but in spite of the cultural inappropriateness of sitting under Jesus' teaching, Mary still does it. It's kind of like, I don't care what the cultural norms say. It's that much more important to sit with Jesus. And that just kind of tells you something about like her heart, her desire, uh, and her priorities in that moment. And so you see, the problem with Martha isn't that she was serving, but the problem was that she didn't have the right priorities. And a lot of us are very busy people. Uh, Some of us have busy jobs, and some of us have busy uh, family life or busy social life. And not only that, because we are so busy, I think there is a part of us that maybe um, uh, likes that, uh, because busyness itself can be a distraction from thinking about Uh, some of the hard things in life. 
And so uh, we just kind of like being distracted. And sometimes busyness makes us feel more important. If we got a lot going on in life, then it's like it feels like we're being productive and we're making uh, a good use out of our lives. Uh, but sometimes, like being too busy, I would say uh, in our context in like New York, I would say that's probably the biggest spiritual struggle or the biggest struggle for what hinders us from building our affections for Jesus. We are just too busy. I imagine many of us go through life and we do a lot. Uh, we often don't reflect on whether we're doing what we should be doing. And it's because, like, we have to meet the next deadline or things are so ske- scheduled so tightly. It's like we got to make the next event or we got um, to make sure people are not upset at us and we're not dropping the ball on certain things and we got to do things that we feel like we're supposed to do. And so we set our priorities based on what we think is the most urgent or we set our priorities based on what's going to make people the least upset. And, you know, maybe that's how Martha set her priorities, too. Maybe she said, well, the most urgent thing to be done, when people are here, they need to eat, I need to serve, I need to make lunch. Or she said, well, uh, people are here, I don't want them to be upset at me and think I'm a bad host, I need to make lunch. And by living her life that way, she actually missed out on being with the best thing, which is being with Jesus. You know, if we take a step back, and if we just kind of look at the entire chapter, which we didn't read, there actually is a wider context here. And what Luke is doing is he is bringing these stories together and he's, he's making a point about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? The passage that comes before this passage is a, is a well-known story of a good Samaritan. And in that story, Jesus tells a story about how a good Samaritan who helps a man uh, who was beaten by robbers. And the, the religious leaders saw this man half dead on the road and they passed by him. But what ends up happening, a Samaritan takes him, bandages up his wounds, and pays for his stay at an inn. And if you're familiar with that story, uh, the way that we oftentimes read it and interpret it and look at it and what we draw out of it is like, you know, that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be like the Samaritan. And if we see somebody who's like half dead on the side of the road, we need to show them mercy and we need to bandage them up and take them in, right? That's how we read that story. And of course, that's true. And that's a good way to read that story. But I think we also oftentimes forget this little detail in that we forget the question that prompted Jesus to tell that story. The reason Jesus tells that story is because a lawyer stood up and asked Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is giving a lesson here meant to show that this lawyer, to this lawyer, you actually can't do anything to inherit eternal life because you can't give the love, kind of love that is required to give. In that story, uh, it's more like we are like that half-dead person on the side of the road, and Jesus is the good Samaritan who who rescues us and and, uh, bandages up our wounds and brings us to life. And therefore, even in the parable right before, the story is actually not focused on our doing, but it's about our receiving. Like we're helpless, we're beggars, we're half dead. And Jesus is the one who gives and resurrects us to life. You know what I find uh, so interesting about Jesus here? Uh, If you would think anybody would have like a busy schedule, right? I guess the more important in, uh, on a a worldly uh, level, the more important you are in terms of like your status and if you're an executive or whatever it is, uh, I guess the busier schedule yeah, you have. So, you know, I hear like some like CEOs, they, they have their days scheduled like to the minute, right? And their meetings scheduled to the minute because they're just that busy. And I think about Jesus, 
And I would think Jesus would have been the most uh, busiest person ever, right? You have the power to heal people. You have the power to exercise demons. Uh, crowds are literally flocking to you. Uh, you would think, like, he's the most busiest person ever. And yet even Jesus himself, he gets away from the crowds. Uh, he doesn't heal everybody. He finds private places where he himself would pray. Even Jesus understood the importance of priorities. And it wasn't that people weren't a priority. It wasn't that, uh, you know, healing people wasn't a priority or wasn't important. But his mission was more significant than that. He didn't just come to heal people of their physical sickness, but he came to ultimately heal us of our spiritual death. And Martha chose work over relationship, and Mary chose relationship over work. Martha chose to do. Mary chose to be. But Jesus had to work in order to restore that relationship. Jesus' priority was to die on a cross because that was the work he was called to do. And in view of that work, uh, without that work, we don't get to be, right? The fact that we can be with Jesus, it does come at a cost, and it doesn't come at our cost, but it comes at the cost of Jesus. And yet in the busyness of Jesus' life, he kept his focus, and he knew in order to do what he was called to do, first he had to be with the Father, and therefore he found these times to pray. Even the night before he was crucified, what did he do? He prayed. Yeah, amen. Uh, you know, we think about our lives, and we just kind of, we just kind of react. I, I think we're like mindless robots, uh, and our, our circumstances dictate like what we do. Uh, you know, we got to wake up and we got to make breakfast and, you know, we got to use the bathroom at times and <laughs> we got <laughs> to, you know, we got to get the kids ready and then we got to go to work and then at work we have all these meetings and we all have all these to-dos and then, you know, I don't know if how people find time to like do laundry and go grocery shopping these days, um, but you got to think about that. It's like what food do we have in the refrigerator and uh, when I go home, like, is there going to be food? And, oh, I got to think about what to make for dinner again. Uh, no food. All right, I got to think about what to uh, order today. And then it's like, oh, I got to make sure the kids are do their homework and are ready for school tomorrow and they're bathed. And then I got to read them a story. And then I got to put them to bed. And then they keep coming out like five times and you got to keep putting them to bed. Uh, There's a lot that happens in the day, right? And after that, it's like, ugh. I just want to watch Netflix, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's the reality of life. Um, <clears throat> I think we should consider, uh, and these are not bad things. These are responsibilities. Just like Martha had responsibilities being the host. Uh, that, that's a struggle we face. It's like in the midst of that, all those responsibilities, how do we become more like Mary? And how do we do... How do we be with Jesus, right? Um, how do we, even though like the cultural expectations say you should do something, even though we have responsibilities as a host, right? Not be irresponsible people, but prioritize the right things. How do we sometimes just say, you know what? Uh, this can wait because it's more important to be with Jesus now. Um, 
very interesting. We look at Martha and we're like, yeah, Martha is, is right here. She's the right one. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, be more like Mary. That's why, you know, that's why we need to uh, really set aside time to pray. And, uh, you know, there's this great book on prayer that I read uh, by J.R. Packer. And the subtitle is From Duty to Delight. And I think when you have like the kind of days that I described, prayer is very hard and it it does feel like a lot of work and it feels like duty and, uh, you know, the good kind of duty. Um, You know, prayer feels like it's it's just like a lot of work (coughs) and we don't want to do it in the beginning. But, you know, Pastor Fred said something in a small group last week that I think is true. Like the first couple times that you kind of do it, it's like, ugh. And then like, you're trying to pray, and because like your mind is going and thinking about some other things, like you just get like so distracted, and you feel like it's not a fruitful time to pray. Uh, but after a couple times, right, and you kind of it kind of becomes a habit. Something strange happens. Like you start to enjoy it, and it becomes starts to become a delight. I think the only reason it becomes a delight is when uh, God is merciful to us, and we experience something about Jesus' presence. And we experience something about what it is to be connected to Jesus. And it, like, kind of reorients us. And, you know, as I said, like, in the beginning, being in Jesus' presence, I think, solves a lot of things that, you know, are going on with inside of us. Like, all the anxiety about all the responsibilities and all the pressures and all the, uh, you know, all the failures of parenting and all the ways that we have messed up and all the, uh, you know, getting yelled at at work or dropping the ball at whatever it is that, like, kind of, mess us up and freak us out or uh, relationally like you know we got into a fight with a spouse or a friend or uh, kids whatever it is there is something like mysterious about you know being connected to Jesus being in his presence uh, that strangely reorients us begins to heal us begins to uh, shape our perspective and I think I think that's what we need um I think we need to be more like Mary. And so uh, we, we have this, because it's a season of Lent, we have been focusing much more on, on prayer and uh, repentance and fasting, just basic Christian practices that are so helpful and useful in cultivating our affections for Jesus. Um, I don't really have practical advice for you <laughs> because I struggle with it myself. But I don't know. This week, just think about Mary and say, I should be more like that. I should be more like that. Let's pray. (coughs) Uh, God, we pray that you would help us to teach, help us to choose the, the better portion. And, you know, sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes we feel like Martha. And sometimes we feel like it's the right thing to do to be more like Martha. And sometimes we don't understand uh, why Mary is the one that's commended here. But I pray, God, that you would um, teach us something about who you are so that we would know that you are the better portion, so that we would know that you are the greater treasure so that we would know that you are the 
the ultimate uh, one to pursue, the one who can, uh, who should have the entirety of the affections of our heart. That you are the one that gives us life. That you are the one that uh, makes us sane. That you are the one that helps us to see as we ought to see. Because otherwise, I don't know. We're just filled with so many anxieties, just as Martha was. We're just so distracted and focused on the wrong thing, just like Martha was. Uh, but we really want to be oriented towards you. And so I pray that you would help us to uh, to pray, help us to maybe let go of you know good things that we ought to be doing, but to say I'm going to choose the better portion, and to prioritize. Our time with you, and spending time with you, and sitting under your teaching, and being in your word, and devoting ourselves to you. I pray collectively you would shape our affections for Jesus. You would grow them, uh, so we would uh, delight in you. So that prayer wouldn't just simply be something we have to do, but it would be something that we delight in. That worship would be something that we delight in. That fellowship with you would be something that would be a great delight to us. Draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.